Hi, welcome to Civic's Change Agent Chat, episode 29. During these chats, we speak with change agents who are working to create a better healthcare system for us all. I'm Stephanie Spriggs with the Center for Improving Value in Healthcare, or as we like to call it, Civic. In this chat, Maria de Jesus Diaz Perez, Civic's Director of Public Reporting, is speaking with Wes Nuffer from the University of Colorado, Denver. As part of their participation in a grant from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the Colorado Department of Public Health and the Environment was required to report upon the proportion of adults with diabetes who filled a diabetes prescription and took their medications as prescribed. They enlisted researchers from the University of Colorado Denver's Skaggs School of Pharmacy to help. During this chat, we learn what the researchers found out about Coloradans living with this condition. We recorded this chat in April 2019. Thanks for listening and enjoy the chat. Hello, and thank you for listening to this Change Agent Chat. I am Maria de Jesus Diaz Perez, and I am the Civics Director of Public Reporting. Today, we will be speaking with Dr. Wesley Noffer, who is an Associate Professor at the Department of Clinical Pharmacy from the University of Colorado and Schutz Medical Campus. Uh, he has been working on a project to assess medication adherence among patients with diabetes in the state. And I'm going to let Wes introduce himself and talk a little bit about the project. Wes, welcome. Thank you. So yeah, uh, my name is Wes Newfer. I'm in uh, experiential programs at the University of Colorado Skag School of Pharmacy, um, which puts me in one position of placing students at practice sites around the state. And one of the um, emphases that we have here is to make sure that students are representing the whole state. And so we put them in a, in a variety of rural areas and require that. It's called the Colorado Commitment. Uh, we get a fair amount of pushback on that because uh, some of our students have never lived outside of a major city. And thinking about living six weeks in a small town where you may not have fast Internet and all the other things that are comforts of home scares them quite a bit, um, but it really opens their eyes to a different um, level of healthcare and a, and a very different area um, where, at least in pharmacy practice, pharmacists do a lot of, of different things. It's a, a wider scope of practice in rural areas. And so this particular project that I've been working on is specific to these rural areas because students are going in and providing care one-on-one uh, -on -one with patients with diabetes and cardiovascular disease um, over about a six-month period of time to really educate them. Both of these diseases, especially with diabetes, is, is very self-managed, and so it's important that, that we help the, these folks understand how, what the disease is about and, and what they can do to really, to really manage it better. Um, and then within that, uh, medication adherence is a, is a major focus of ours, mainly just because um, if if you're not taking the medicine, then it's not going to be helping you. And when I started getting into this project, I had no idea the numbers um, across the state and nationally. Um, but but it's it's a very very striking number of if, if I was a physician and I and I wrote you know 20 prescriptions today, um, the data suggests that uh, around five of those would still be filled six months from now. And so that's a really um, sort of a shocking number to me. Yes, it is. It's definitely shocking. And following up on the on your last point, I would like to ask you, how 
how do you use the claims data to inform your project? So we we partnered with, uh, at the time they were called a, a RICO, they're no longer called that, but it was mm -hmm. basically a, uh, a, a Medicare and Medicaid center that served um, a population of folks. And what they were able to do is provide us those claims data. And, and that's really where you start with adherence. Um, because obviously if, if your patients aren't filling your prescriptions, you know they're not taking them. And it's not a foolproof system because sometimes they're getting some through mail order or they stockpiled it, but it is a good starting um, process by which we know, hey, somebody's not filling this, they were due for this, let's follow up and have a conversation with them. I can tell you that uh, in, in addition to that, we also, anytime we saw anybody, um, you know, you, you have to open this dialogue. You have to really ask folks, um, you know, are you, are you taking your medicines regularly? And, and since I've started this project, uh, my practice is in endocrinology at University of Colorado Hospital. And I've started asking my patients that as well. And, and I can tell you that probably one out of three um, will tell me that in a, in a given past two weeks that they're missing doses of their medication. And so this is, this is not a, a problem that hits any demographic or any geographic region. This is a problem that is, is at least nationwide, probably worldwide, and, and one that we need to, to revisit pretty frequently. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And from, from your one-to-one -one experience, as well as from the population level data that you have access to, what are the main reasons that, that patients attribute to not taking their medications as they, as they are indicated? Well, I think that's an excellent question. And, and what I can tell you is, is that when you first get, get involved in this, your patients will tell you, well, I, I forget. I'm, I'm forgetting to take them. But we have a, a pretty nice um, sort of a, a method of going through. There's a number of questionnaires out there that you can use for these tools. And what starts out is I forget when you really start having a conversation and, and not being blaming. You know, this isn't a, oh, this is terrible. You're a terrible patient. It's, it's not that kind of conversation. It's it's more of an open-ended, let's have a conversation about what's going on and let's see if we can fix this. And, and once you have that conversation, I can tell you the data I have from the clinics that I've been working with, and these are clinics around the state of Colorado. Um, we had a, a three-year project which saw around 780 patients and about 33%, uh, about 250 of those were identified as not taking their medicines. And, and really the reasons were a number of different ones for us. The, the biggest reason um, really was, I just forget, I, I'm taking a lot of pills and, and we know that the more you have to take in a day um, and the more pills you take total are, are very good predictors of, of missing some, but you also have the, I stopped because the medicine made me feel worse. Um, I forget when I'm traveling or when I leave home and I leave my meds at home. When I feel like my disease is being controlled better, I tend to skip them. Um, I, my treatment plan is really complicated and I just can't keep up with it. And then, uh, and then the old standby of, you know, I, I really can't afford it. And unfortunately, we're dealing with this a lot in diabetes and, and folks listening have probably seen some of the data out about the prices of insulin. And, you know, insulin, uh, charging a lot for insulin is, is really unfair because it's not, if you have type one diabetes, it's not a choice. It's, it's insulin or, or I could potentially die. And, mm -hmm. and so creating a, a situation where people can't afford a medicine that, that is, that is essentially saving their lives is, is just unacceptable. And, and that's where we've really started to, to take some national um, measures. And you're seeing the two big companies now, Eli Lilly and, and Sanofi actually announced yesterday that they're discounting a form of insulin for patients 
um, because of, of this sort of scrutiny that we've had over the last several years, because it's really, um, it's really unfortunate that, that price is, is one of the considerations there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 those, those, are, those are definitely good news. And, but I'm sure there are many more things that we can do to keep improving the medication adherence for patients. Are there other things at the provider level that you have found that will be helpful uh, for, to improve, for improving medication adherence for patients? Absolutely. And I, and I think that's the interesting thing is, is that when we look at the data on adherence, it, you don't have to be a trained uh, physician to be able to have this conversation. The, the, the data suggests that whoever has the conversation, and this can be a pharmacist, this can be a, a physician assistant, a nurse, it can also be a health uh, coach, you know, a, a layperson. It can be, you know, somebody's neighbor that's concerned. If anybody having these conversations with patients to get to the bottom of why these things are happening can really impact um, that person's ability to take the medicines the way they're supposed to. And, and the data is very clear that, that the training of the person having the conversation doesn't matter. What does matter is, number one, what I talked about before, which is that you're, you're not having a blaming conversation. You know, patients, they, they don't want to be bad patients. They're not trying to just, just be difficult. There's, there's very good reasons for not taking them. So you have to approach it in an open manner of, of hey, we're having this nice conversation. It's not like um, I'm really going to shake my finger at you. Um, other than that, um, the, the challenging thing about this problem is that the data also shows that it helps, helps these people get in line for a short amount of time. And so that really tells us that you need to have these conversations pretty much every time you see your patients, because no matter who's doing the counseling or the education or the, or the helping of this patient, six or nine or 12 months later, people tend to go back to baseline. And so, you know, you really want to, to try, there's apps out now, there's a lot of apps that give you reminders, there's these pill minders, and there's some very fancy systems for reminding people, um, helping them with those types of things. In pharmacy, we, we talk a lot about if I can get someone from a three times a day drug to a once a day drug, um, if struggling to take it at night, can I move it to the morning when you do have a better system? There's a lot of ways that we can improve this, but again, Long term, it doesn't seem to be a very good solution. And so you can't just do it once and say, okay, I fixed this person forever. It really mm-hmm. needs to be part of what we're thinking about every time we're sitting down with our patients and, and having conversations of, okay, I, I, these are the meds I, I see you on. How many of these are you struggling in a week or in a month to, to take? And, and, and why, why is that happening? I think mm-hmm. that's a conversation in today's healthcare. We get so busy that it's easy to not have that conversation. And again, adding more and more meds aren't going to do any good if the person's not actually taking them. Yeah. No, that, that, that makes a lot of sense because obviously people uh, behave depending on their circumstances and those can change from one month to the next one to the next one. And so that's, that, that makes all, all sense. And what are you, what are the next plan in, in this large project of improving medica- medication adherence for Colorado? What are the next steps or what are, you, are, what are, what are your projects related to this? So I, I would uh-huh. say first and foremost, once I started really looking into the problem and, and reading about it in detail and, and realizing the scope of it, and again, it's pretty alarming and I don't think some of our providers know that if when I have mm-hmm. this conversation with our with our rural practitioners and I say okay how many scripts did you write today and then did you realize only 20% will still be filled six months from now wow. um, that that really puts a puts a um, an emphasis on what's going on and, and it, it, if you 
follow the chain, some of them never make it to the pharmacy, some of them never leave the pharmacy, and then when they do leave, they don't get refilled. So each each piece along that chain, you have a drop-off. But because I've been more aware of that, um, I personally have integrated this more into my interactions with our with our pharmacy students so that they're aware of the problem and they realize it. And, and again, reiterating that this is a conversation that you can have. Pharmacy is a very interesting profession. We're in medical clinics. Where everyone, everyone pictures us in, in the corner of the grocery store or drugstore. And, and absolutely, that is, that's one role. But we're also in hospitals. We're, we're all over the place. And, and no matter where you are, um, you can have this conversation with your patients and, and should. And so that's really what we're emphasizing. Uh, the project that we're working on, I, I've, I've been working with the state health department, CDPHE, for, for a long time period of time and, and we've really transitioned um, from where we've established uh, uh, over a three-year project that we can really make a difference with students and so the next step in that is really looking to get our community pharmacists involved because there again in, in rural areas everybody's recognizing the value of a, of a healthcare team now um, but it's sort of hard to see that pharmacist on the team when he's in his own building two or three blocks away from the medical clinic where everybody else is and, and um, that being said, there's no reason that that's a barrier anymore. I mean, the, the world has certainly gotten smaller through through the internet, right? I mean, that, this is our conversation we're having right now, and so one um, example. Yeah, so so there are definitely ways of getting that pharmacist involved and and that bi-directional information flow, and that's a lot of what I'm focusing on now is how can the pharmacist access the medical records so that we know labs, we know fill dates, we know all these things of what the person's supposed to be on. And then equally important, when I sit down with you as a patient and I, and I give you these pointers and, and recommendations for helping your disease, I need to get that information back to your provider so they know, oh, okay, well, you know, Wes had this conversation with the patient and these are the things they recommended and, and, and integrating the person into the team of, of where's the need and what's already been done. So I'm not telling you something someone else told you already yesterday. And, and that's really a lot of the work we're trying to do now is, is where do these pharmacists fit in and how can they contribute meaningfully, even though they're in a different physical building in a small town. And some of these towns, they don't even have a medical office. The pharmacist is the only healthcare provider there. So it becomes even more important that I communicate with the doctor where they're going to see him so that, so that everybody understands what, where, where the patient is at. And then finally, in pharmacy, we're really trying to get some models um, where we can bill for some of these services. We've given away a lot of information for, for years and years, but what you're seeing now in the pharmacy profession is robotics. You're seeing equipment that's doing a lot of the traditional filling type of role, and you're seeing very, very good, well-trained technicians that are able to take on a lot of those, again, tasks that are, that are more about the product and getting, getting the prescription filled into a, a bottle and, and dispensed. What we need to be doing in, as pharmacists, we, you know, remember we have a, a doctorate in this degree now. We need to be using all the information the schools are, are providing us and, and engaging patients and helping to prevent errors and helping with adherence and really talking to patients. So my pet peeve is that pharmacist that's way, way back in the pharmacy and you can't hardly see him. Every time I go to these sites, I'm pushing these guys to be right out front, to be accessible, to be right there available so that when patients have questions, that's really what I see our role as being. And that's really what we're trying to do is, is promote that approachable, um, accessible healthcare professional right there. Yeah, well, that's, that, that all sounds, sounds great. And as I told you about my experience in uh, federally qualified health centers with the role of clinical pharmacists, you see clearly that, that great value added from a pharmacist, a clinical pharmacist. So 
just to just to close this conversation, I would like you to tell me what do you see that is from all the of all your experience and findings that is unique to Colorado, or whether it's something very good or probably not so good, some an opportunity for improvement compared to other places or the nation as a whole. Sure. Well, I can tell you, I also do a lot of work in the in the circles of obesity, and the good news there is is that we're a very active state. We're a very healthy state, and uh, and so uh, I used to use the uh, the Centers for Disease Control. They have some uh, maps that they put up where they really started tracking overweight and obesity, and they really stopped that around 2010. But there's a span of about 25 years where the maps continue to darken as as more and more and more people become obese. And when I show those to the students, it's always fun because Colorado is always the best color on the map because we really are a very active community. And, and I think we pride ourselves in that. And I think that's why we're one of the biggest growing cities in the, in the country is because there's so much that you can just get out to the mountains and do and go out and play and ski and bike and, and all of these things. And so I think that's very promising. Um, I, really, I really like that perspective of it. Um, however, I also teach um, vaccinations and immunizations, and, and that's an area where Colorado really needs to improve. And, and we, we are a very diverse um, group of people, and, and unfortunately, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, uh, of, of option, op opting out of vaccinations, and, and we're seeing this cause a lot of disease. So I encourage folks to, to really look for credible information because I, I teach the students. In fact, I'm teaching today an, an anti-vaccine talk. Um, where I help them understand uh, why this is a thing and, and where people are coming from. And, and I really do take the stance that there are people that have a, have a very definitive right not to vaccinate people where the first child had a, a very bad consequence, like a neurologic disorder that, that is probably linked to vaccines. But there's a lot of misinformation. And, and I just really encourage people in all of these areas to to do some research because, you know, facts are matter and, and information is out there and, and we can't just go off of, of what our friends tell us. We really need to look at what's been shown because I think it's, you know, I read an article yesterday where there's more measles this year already in April than there were the entire last year. And so this is an example where we've, we've single-handedly um, let a disease come back in the population. And, and mm -hmm. sorry, I kind of hijacked our adherence talk. At that, but <laughs> you that, um, that, you know, when you have a, a whole bunch of diverse, smart people, a lot of things are, are really positive, but you can also see some consequences. And, and it's our responsibility as healthcare folks to, to really encourage you to, to be responsible in some of these behaviors, because we're really trying to promote everybody's health. Yes, no, de definitely. I, I think that's something that's something very important. Immunizations were a huge, a huge uh, uh, advance to improve population's health, and now we're not taking advantage of that. That's just, that's, it's, it's just terrible. <laughs> terrible. Well, uh, these are all the questions I have for today. The truth is that I could keep talking with you and about your other different projects, but, uh, well, uh, we, 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 we heard about this specific project and, and we really thank you for your time. Well, I appreciate it. As you can tell, I'm very passionate about what I do. Um, we're always looking for great talent within pharmacy. So any of you out there that are listeners that have ever thought about, hey, what's a pharmacist do? We'd love to tell you. Um, it's a very exciting time for pharmacy and there's a lot of new opportunities for us. And, and we're always trying to, to get as many Coloradans in the school as we are outside of Colorado. And so, 
Um, so by all means, look us up, call us up and ask some questions, encourage your friends too, because I think there's a whole lot of opportunities in pharmacy today. And, and again, we'd love to see some young, talented minds come into the school and, and make a difference. So thanks for, for uh, giving me some time today. Thank you. Bye.